0: Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune Pool to dining in Hearst's private guest house overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission.
1: I'm uh, Sean O'Brien owner of Pacific Coast Lumber. We're located in Paso Robles, California. We moved up to this location about two years ago from San Luis Obispo. Uh, The company was founded in 1996 and we're still going strong with the urban forest message, reclaiming materials that would otherwise be going to the waste stream. Back up a little bit,
2: how did this start for you? Were you a
1: little timber guy as a kid? I went to college to be a software engineer. I was a software engineer for about 24 years, 25 years. Enjoyed the career. Uh, my wife had worked for the county of San Luis Obispo. It just wasn't feeding her soul, so she decided to do a new business on her own, doing she-sheds out of reclaimed doors and windows. So she's founded a company called The Place to Grow. The goal was for me to join that company. You're going
2: to help her to begin with.
1: Yes, yeah, so it was it was more like you know I, I got her started a, a bit, building things on weekends, and, just, and I was going to join the company when it got big enough. She moved her business to a business park in San Luis Obispo, which happened to be next to Pacific Coast Lumber, uh, who Don Seawater had founded the company 20 years earlier. And he was ready to retire, and he kind of looked at us and said, hey, you know, the business models are pretty similar. You know, we do reclaimed doors and windows, wooden metal elements for these really beautiful artistic sheds. What Don Seawater was doing was reclaiming material that would otherwise go to the waste stream. Beautiful redwood trees, cypress trees, sycamore, pine, all the local trees. And it seemed to be very synergistic. So he said, hey, you know, maybe you guys ought to buy the mill. I'm like, ha ha ha. Little did I know, a couple years later, we'd end up buying the mill. And I didn't know much about milling at all. Don stayed on with me for about three months to get me up and running. And I find that it's it's a beautiful industry. It's got a lot of meaning. Going from a software engineer to running a lumber mill may seem like a pretty big stretch but truthfully I found that the way I solve problems as an engineer applies to solving problems at a mill. It's just a different form factor. I mean, We have equipment that breaks down. You have to incrementally fix that. You have to figure out what's wrong and, and fix those things. From a customer standpoint, whether this, as a software engineer, I had customers who had problems and I would have to find solutions to those problems. Same here. A customer comes in and they have a problem of wanting a table. My solution is to find a slab and build a table that satisfies their needs. So it wasn't a big stretch for me psychologically to join on. And I thoroughly enjoy. What's interesting is I can actually touch my product. Software engineer, it's all in the ether.
2: Well, what I love, the philosophy in that what you do is the antithesis of the criticism of lumber industry of clear-cutting for us. You don't go out and clear-cut stuff. You harvest down trees and carbon sequestration.
1: So carbon sequestration is the notion of taking carbon that would be emitted into the atmosphere and impact greenhouse gases, climate change, global warming. And if you sequester that carbon, then they aren't going up in the atmosphere. So before Pacific Coast Lumber was founded in 1996, all this material that was being harvested, dead, dying disease, storm down trees. Would either be chipped up as playground chips, or used as firewood, or just let decay. All of those products release the carbon into the atmosphere, and they're up and they're doing their um, greenhouse gas effect. By taking a, a log, a local log, an oak log, a, a walnut log, taking a slab out of that and making a table, you're taking all the carbon that's in that log and keeping it in its form. So it's, a, it's sequestering the carbon for as long as that um, table, flooring, paneling, countertop exists. So. Uh, We're really proud of that.
2: In sourcing, a lot of your product comes from forest fires and from windfall that we just experienced here on the Central Coast.
1: Getting a bunch of calls, and it's hard to uh, service all of those calls right now for downed oak trees, redwood trees and things. But There's a lot of material that's available after this big storm we had here in California. Forest fires are also a big source
2: of our material. Right in front of us are giant piles of huge redwoods that are all blackened on the outside. Where did those come from?
1: They came out of the Castle Fire, which was a Camp Nelson area. I think that's northeast of Bakersfield up in the Sierra. That was a fire from a couple years ago, and that fire is responsible for killing 10 percent of the giant sequoias that are left in the world, which is a huge tragedy. But it was a pretty large fire up there, and of the trees that were damaged and weren't going to survive, but still had manageable material, they they'll harvest those and there's a trucker down in San Diego area that had a pile of them and I get uh, truckloads when I need them. So these are burn scarred logs that the carbon inside is perfect, but the tree won't survive. So we're able to actually able to make use of those things for lots of great projects.
2: How does it work cost-wise? When you go to a forest fire site, do you have to pay them to haul away or is it a kind of a net zero where you're doing a service?
1: You no, know, I don't know how my supplier manages his effort likely he gets paid to haul the material out then he's got the spoils of that and I pay a dollar per board foot rate to get him hauled up here and it works out well I mean we get some really good beautiful clean material and he makes some money doing his business so it works out well And it's 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 good for the environment to have this stuff stay as local as possible
2: right here in the Central Coast there's a real cool diversity of woods that you're able to source
1: so the uh, the wealth of species locally here on the central coast that we have access to as you mentioned earlier that there's other timber services that don't clear cut areas or harvest logs for their timber value we don't do that at all we'll take things there's storm down dead dying disease being lot cleared or they're they're damaging the houses or sidewalks or things that have to come down. Those are the source of our materials. So
2: There's a cedar tree in my yard and it fell over and I called you up. There's a fee for you to haul away? Yeah.
1: It depends. I mean, if you've got a super spectacular cedar tree, a five-foot diameter guy, you know, we can figure something out. But generally speaking, when a redwood tree, a 30-inch diameter redwood tree that's coming down in somebody's yard, might say contribution, if you will, I help with the cost of hauling that away. If an arborist takes a tree down, they pay for the services there and they also... The owner will pay the the arborist to haul that material away and dispose of it. If I'm involved, I haul it for free and dispose of it for free. That saves the homeowner. Quite a bit. It works out that I can actually use the material. I've got a great symbiotic relationship with lots of the uh, arborists here in the county. So it works out really well that way.
2: Let's talk about end use. Like you said, people come in looking for a coffee table or whatever. I remember one time here, you were doing a giant... Bar top out of a huge slab.
1: Yeah, it was a, a large oak bar. It was probably about 15 feet long, about five inches thick, 24 inches wide, and it was live edge on both sides. It had a little bit of a wiggle to it, and then a couple branches grew out the top. It was like a little crotch area there. It was absolutely gorgeous. And where did that go? here in paso actually out east of town some people were moving up here turning a barn into a, a wedding venue for their daughter and they had one of a nice bar so they uh commissioned me to do that that was a lot of fun we did resin fill in the voids and then did a, a clear resin pour over the, the resin room. fill is super trendy now it it's is incredible i like the look some
2: of these guys use like cobalt blue and just these non-natural occurring
1: colors, colors that you don't find in wood and yet people love it. We have a couple of shelves in our shop right now that have the cobalt blue, kind of deep, rich ocean blue, we call it, yeah. and it's actually really pretty uh, contrasting uh, the cypress material. It's like blonde, orange color wood with some blue. We've done cedar with a red and an orange, kind of show like a fire color, and that's what people want. It's very artistic. I do have material of my own in my house. that has the resin in there, different colors. I have a beautiful olive table with a rich ocean blue fill. You'll be able to look at furniture and say, yeah, that was from the 2020s for sure, uh, but I, I like it and that's where we're at.
2: Talk to us a little bit more about what's closest to your heart. Well, as far as the, the wood
1: materials? Everything. Everything. You know, your world. About three years ago, there was a fire that took place in Shell Beach, just a little south of uh, San Luis Obispo. On a ranch, there's a large sycamore tree that came down. It's got a lot of nice movement to it. Sycamore is my most favorite wood with the grain colors and things. So we've, we've yet to mill that. It's still in my inventory, but that's that's the thing to, to get into. I'm, I'm really happy that we we're able to harvest that because otherwise that would have been chipped up, ground up. Or Actually, Cal Fire was going to go out and burn all the extra wood in that field, which would have emitted all the carbons as we were talking mm-hmm. about. So sycamore is my, my favorite wood, for sure. Fairly hard in its grain structure. Yeah, it is, and it dries nicely. If you can get it super dry, then it's super stable.
2: I know with eucalyptus, in the early days of California, they thought these were going to be the new gold mine, and everybody was planting the eucalyptus across the state. And they thought it was going to be for railroad ties and for poles and there's an obvious reason why that didn't work out. Talk to us about the downfall
1: of that species. So eucalyptus, some of the arborists call it a weed here. It just grows crazy, it grows fast. There are great eucalyptus species, sub-varieties of those that can be good lumber material. But Most of what they planted here are, I don't know the the types of you know, blue gum, some red gum, that uh, uh, do a lot of twisting. If you take a look at the bark structure on the outside of these trees you'll see that the bark will do a little twist like a helical shape and what happens is when you mill those things as they're drying they will twist they keep going yeah so I think got in Montana de Oro which is in near Los Osos they planted and you can see them they're still in rows probably a hundred plus years ago they planted eucalyptus trees to harvest for railroad ties well they didn't look close enough to see that some eucalyptus species just aren't good for harvesting so
2: I've spent time in Australia that part of the differential, you could take a blue gum in Australia and it's slower growing. Therefore more control because they have less rainfall. Where here, you know, so much more rain just makes it fast growing, bigger ring structure, therefore anyway. Less stable, yeah, absolutely. So that didn't quite work out, the commercial enterprise of eucalyptus in California.
1: Well, they're beautiful trees, and and I think about looking at Montanador without them, and it would be a different environment. I'm not interested in having them take them out for the purity's sake. They're trees, and they're growing, and they're fine.
2: I remember at Morro Bay High School, they had windfall of cypress, and you harvested some of those, and then you wound up giving me a slab. We donated to California State Parks, and we made a sign at Morro Bay State Park out of that cypress from Morro Bay.
1: That was a fun project for us as well. Yeah, we did get a lot of cypress from Morro Bay High School. We got another round of it a few years later as well. That was an interesting project because we milled that wood for a structure at, for my wife's company, a place to grow. So the material came from Morro Bay High School and we built a structure and donated it to, I think it's Monarch Grove Elementary School in Los Osos. That elementary school feeds into Morro Bay High School. So it was a great experience to talk to the um, children at the elementary school about recycling material. And that it came from the high school that they're going to go to, and it, it's this beautiful little structure. It was a fun project for all around. That's really cool.
2: A little bit more about your world that you want to share?
1: Well, we're working on, I'm part of a board for Urban Salvage Reclaim Wood Network. It was a CAL FIRE about five years ago or so, produced a grant that we were able to apply for and, and fund our nonprofit organization. And our goal is to promote urban salvage and reclaim materials. We wrote a standard and are right now doing beta testing on the standard, which will do a chain of custody for urban materials, so we can be classified as bona fide urban material. So it isn't a clear cut. It isn't something from Oregon or from Georgia. This is from our local community. So we have... Uh, criteria that you get more points for the less traveled wood. So if, if I'm in past Robles, if I get an oak tree here, so I'm part of that. Like supply chain. Yes. By tracking the chain of custody, when somebody gets an end product that is urban salvage Reclaim certified, then you know that it. it you can track where it came from. Oftentimes, we pictures of the tree standing. You'll know who cut it down, who hauled it, who milled it, who dried it, and the whole process of of the product. So the Urban Salvage and Reclaim Network was a California-based organization. There is an urban wood network, national network, that we have become part of and now our board is overseeing the whole western states. So we're uh, taking this standard nationally and we're in the process of that. So I'm really happy about and proud of the effort of getting the word out about urban wood and how it's utilized. I'm getting calls uh, from people in the state to get urban wood. I'm getting calls from people out of the state wanting California urban wood because it's such a beautiful material, redwoods and cypresses and sycamores that are really native and natural out here. So really happy that the word is getting out that we're uh, in the process of making a standard that will be utilized and for municipalities that want to be able to use reclaimed materials, the natural urban forest kind, with our, um, our certification they'll know that it's certified.
2: Looking in from the outside, I've known you for years yeah. and I go back to seawater days. I know about you because of being there. but I talk to people in the community and a lot of people don't even know you exist, it seems that it's kind of a word of mouth business model you have.
1: It is. In fact, I still have the same number that Don Seawater had for the company, so people will dial it and ask for Don still, even though I've owned the company for seven years, which is a good thing to, to know we have the same number. Word of mouth is good. We also run a commercial on a TV. We're doing some ads in, in magazines. Uh, in conjunction with my wife's business a, a place to grow we have a nice location up here in Paso Robles off of Paso Robles street which is just off the exit you can see you our We have slides. like a
2: showroom a place for when people if they drive in what do they see
1: Well i think primarily it's our work in progress in the shop i do have uh, some slabs in a tent and we have slabs throughout the yard we do have an Instagram page that can show some of the work that we've been doing. If you go to our website, pacificcoastlumber.com, there's links to our Facebook and Instagram accounts there and all of our contact and and location information.
2: I know it's all over the board, but is there a predominant use where people that come here, you know, what are they looking for and what is their end use for the lumber they get from you?
1: Actually, it is uh, the whole gamut of consumption. We have contractors who want just... Raw lumber that's um, of a certain size, be it nominal material like we buy a two by four, it's one and a half by three and a half. Sometimes they need an actual two inch by four inch. I can mill those custom. We do a lot of large timber for pergolas and outdoor structures, so that's raw material. We have other services we provide. We can take their material and kiln dry it. Have a kiln. We have a planing apparatus to plane any size material they need. We have a joinery.
2: And you deliver, too?
1: We're not the most cost-effective delivery mechanism, but we, if, if we possible. have to, we yes, we do. Yeah, So I've got actually a couple uh, projects I'm going to be delivering down in the Santa Barbara area because it's just cost-prohibitive for them to come up here. So Yeah, we offer full-service urban forest and lumber services. We can do uh, soup to nuts. We can give you raw material. We can mill your material. We can do any kind of service to your material. We do end products. A lot of what we do are, are tables and mantles for end products and it's based on the material we have here or if you bring in material we can work with that too.
2: Years and years ago I lived in British Columbia and this was in the 70s mm-hmm. and what was very popular were guys would go to the mill and they would buy the coal live edge wood for their siding yep. and you know 30, 40, 50 years later it's trending so virally it's crazy.
1: I've, uh, I've got a couple buildings on site here that have the live edge siding, and that's a lot of fun. And explain live edge. So a live edge siding is where you take a log and you just mill it in a board. It's an inch thick or so. And you leave the, uh, the outside edge, you get, the bark will come off, generally speaking, but the outside edge has some waviness to it, so it's, it's considered, quote-unquote, live edge. If there's a branch that was there where we're milling, there's a little stub that sticks out. That's kind of fun. So it's just kind of a natural edge, kind of a wavy wavy pattern that you can put up and it's got a little extra texture to it if you will so that's really cool yeah i think one of the things that i've learned over the years of owning pacific coast lumber is that if you're making end products drying your material effectively is super important even a lot of the lumber you buy at, at lowe's or home depot or some of those places the framing material it has a lot of moisture in it if you're going to try to make some end use products out of those things or even some of the other material they have you need to make sure it's dry so that it won't warp and move on you so that's a thing that we have with a kiln we can dry the material to the whatever moisture content you're looking for based on its use that's a secret that i didn't know much about before i owned the mill now i'm pretty keyed in on making sure you have dry material
2: and the other interesting thing when you go to home depot or lowe's is avoiding the heart center of the green two by fours yes. or, or even four by twelves people wonder why did our four by twelve warp and rock, and talk to us about that, avoiding the heart center.
1: So the heart center is also called the pith, so a tree has just the very first growth ring in the center. Framer's
2: called the bullseye.
1: There you have it. And it doesn't actually have to be the center, it can be off based on the way the tree grows. But if you look at a a 4x6 beam, right, or a 4x4, some big piece of material, if you see the growth rings kind of coming into a single point, that's called the heart center. It's probably the most unstable part of a, of a log from being twisting and, and moving. If you get a higher grade of a beam, like a, a grade one or two, they, they'll be free, free of heart center, F-O-H-C. That's kind of the, the tag. So it'll be a much more stable, structural piece of material that won't do the twisting as you're mentioning. And we try to avoid that in our slabs too, because if we make a table that has a pith, or the heart center, That's where the slab will have a little more movement and wonkiness. As a technical term, wonkiness, you want to avoid.
2: A lot of people do not know that some of the more evolved lumber yards where you order lumber, you can put in a request for FOHC.
1: Correct, yes. A lot of the, the main commercial lumber mills, it's a higher grade and you pay more for it, for sure. When you come into Pacific Coast Lumber, we can pick out whatever materials we have, and we will check the ends to see if there's a heart center that goes through your slab and uh, pick out a different one if you don't want that one.
2: And talk about vertical grain for a moment.
1: So vertical grain is like a clear vertical grain is like the highest end product you can have. And that's typically where the grain is going vertical relative to the board size. And it's a pretty view, you get to see all the, the grain lines in there and it's a most stable piece of material a clear vertical grain means there's no knots coming through it strongest in many respects it, if, it's, it's if you put it vertical going up and down Yeah, but it's, it's strong and stable so you can do flat sawn material which goes the other direction so if you have a two by six the grain lines are going along the six inch part that's a flat sawn if you have the grains going up and down in the one and a half inch or two inch side that's a vertical grain so that's, if you consider a, a log if you do a round log the vertical grain is going to be to the left and right of the heart center the flat saw is going to be above and below the heart Center if you're just cutting them horizontally. Well, the popularity of urban forest milling is, especially in California and, and throughout the country, as more of these uh, urban wood network chapters come online, banding them together and creating a network will allow uh, smaller mills. Even like myself here, I, I've got a large order that's this potential. I'm, I'm contacting a bunch of my other colleagues in the same industry to see if they have a certain kind of oak that my client is looking for, so I can band us together and, and with several mills produce a big order for somebody. Because that'll help satisfy you know large commercial orders that a small mill can't do all of it by themselves. So this Urban Salvage Reclaim Network that was funded by CAL FIRE, that now we've joined the Urban Wood Network, a national network. We're creating a network of all of these small mills to be a lot stronger and more capable to provide good commercial quality material.
2: Where and who is your nearest competition?
1: Deadwood Revival is a local company here in Paso Robles. They've been in existence for a while. They also got started with a CAL FIRE grant recently. They're good guys. I like to work with them. We've done some collaboration. There's a couple other small mills that, that aren't full service. They'll, they'll just do some milling and, and things. It's a company down in uh, Los Angeles, West Coast Arborist, as far west, products up in Sheridan. Those are some big players in the industry. Where are you located? Paso Robles Street, at 720. Paso Robles Street. We're right off the 101 freeway. We're the third building on the right when you take the exit heading north on 101. Our website is a great access for information. That's how most people out of the area will find us. What um, name is? The- Pacificcoastlumber.com. Yeah, that's too easy. There you go. It's all, all all natural. Seeking out urban forest material and understanding that it's, it's local material that is carbon sequestering. It's good for the environment. The carbon footprint of it being delivered is so much less than, say, a bunch of 2x4s coming from Georgia out to the west coast, or however that works. We also, we're having a client here drop off a bunch of oak logs from his property from this recent storm down. We're going to make flooring for him. Oh, wow, so that, cool. that's, that we do a lot of custom milling of, of other people's material. So that would be definitely a kiln dried operation. Yes. Yeah, so our, our kiln is, is right now our, our long pole in the tent. It's, it's running 365 days a year, so real happy about that. We're probably gonna be expanding our kiln services pretty soon. My name is Sean O'Brien. I own Pacific Coast Lumber in Paso Robles, California.
2: And I'm Tom Wilmer. We'll see you here at Pacific Coast Lumber in Paso Robles.
0: Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst—from swimming in the iconic Neptune Pool to dining in Hearst's private guesthouse overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students preserving the past and inspiring future generations of dreamers. These children experience a world of science, technology, engineering, art, and math at Hearst Castle STEAM, along with studying the legacy of Julia Morgan, one of the most important women in the history of engineering and architecture the Foundation at Hearst Castle not only changes the lives of children, but also provides lifetime memories and unrivaled experiences for our generous donors and members. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. You've been listening to the Lowell Thomas award-winning travel show Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer, a featured podcast on npr.org's podcast directory. Produced by California Central Coast NPR affiliate KCBX. You are invited to subscribe to Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer on NPR.org, NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher.com, and more than 20 other podcast channels around the world. To learn more about Tom Wilmer's journeys around America and the world, log on to ThomasWilmer.com. This is Roseanne Cash, and I'm sitting here with Tom Wilmer. Please support your local NPR station. I listen to WNYC in New York. In fact, NPR is all I listen to. If I didn't have NPR, I would feel like my lifeline to the world has been cut. So, yes, please support your local NPR station.